Welcome to the Protestants and Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Nap Nasworth. I've been exploring the intersection of churches, Christians, theology, and public life for over 20 years as both a professor and a journalist. But I still have lots of questions. I invite you to continue learning with me as I interview interesting voices in this field. You know, he and, and his administration is going against, you know, what, what many believe the Christian scriptures say about welcoming the stranger or the immigrant. Um, none of that matters. What they want is access to political power for their group. And, and really the us of Christian nationalism is, you know, white, native-born, um, culturally Christian Americans. And so in that sense, Trump is, is exactly what they've been searching for and exactly what they want. What is Christian nationalism? How does it influence voting? My guest to talk about this is Andrew Whitehead. He is Associate Professor of Sociology and Director of ARDA, the Association of Religion Data Archives at the Center for Religion and American Culture at Indiana University. In 2019, Professor Whitehead co-authored an article for a sociology of religion called Make America Christian Again. Christian Nationalism and Voting for Donald Trump in the 2016 Presidential Election. That article won the Distinguished Article Award for both the Association for the Sociology of Religion and the Society for the Scientific Study of Religion. And that article was turned into a book that was published this year called Taking America Back for God, Christian Nationalism in the United States, with his co-author Samuel Perry, who was Associate Professor of Sociology and religion at the University of Oklahoma. Professor Whitehead, welcome to the Protestants and Politics podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. All right. So how do you, how do you define Christian nationalism? The way that we define Christian nationalism is as a cultural framework. And so by that, we mean uh, it's a collection of myths and symbols, traditions, value systems, and even narratives that idealize and advocate for a close fusion and relationship between Christianity and American civic life. Um, But the Christianity in Christian nationalism, we find, is something more than um, maybe just the historic um, Christian faith or, you know, being able to um, identify with some of the um, you know, orthodox beliefs, um, but that it comes with a number of other aspects to it and assumptions that, um, you know, really are about nativism, being from America, white supremacy, patriarchy, um, and even militarism. And so, uh, as a cultural framework, we like to understand it as really a lens through which Americans see and interpret their social worlds. Um, and even then decide how to act within those social worlds, um, basically creating an identity of this is who we are and this is what we're all about um, as Americans. Okay, so it's not just patriotism, right? It's something, is, is, it, is it distinct from patriotism, you'd say? Yeah, I think so. Um, a lot of times people will think about patriotism um, and then nationalism is, patriotism is saying, you know, I love my country. Um, and the people that are a part of this country. And then nationalism is something more where it's like, 
I think my country is better than all the other countries, you know, in opposition to it. Um, and that we need to um, lift this country up and, and have it be over everyone else. And so I think that with Christian nationalism, it isn't just patriotism, kind of like when the Olympics roll around, you know, every four years and we cheer for those people that are from America. Um, but it's about um, privileging a certain interpretation and type of Christianity, again, almost in quotes, um, over and above any other religious groups um, and even um, you know, racial, ethnic, or um, immigrant groups in the United States, privileging access to power and privilege. All right. And, and this is also distinct from the concept of a civil religion, right? Yeah, we think that it is. So civil religion in American history um, is kind of this idea of this ethical understanding of, of who we are as, as people of this nation um, and that, you know, it, it has an understanding of kind of a, a providential figure, you know, God or a, a being that, um, you know, we need to have civic virtue and, and to be able to live together. You know, there are parts of, of this civil religion that will allow us to look out for what's best for others and, and so that all can flourish. Um, and, and that has existed for a very long time in the U.S. But Christian nationalism, we think, is, is actually different, where um, it has a much more um, specific view of, you know, of providence, where it would really be more of the Christian God and even, um, you know, that Jesus Christ and and. Uh, kind of an evangelical understanding of of the Christian God. We have a covenantal relationship with that God and that we need to make sure we adhere to specific laws um, and social policies in order to stay on God's good side so that God will bless us. And if we don't, then the wrath of God will fall on us. Um, and then too, that God has a plan for the world and, and the United States um, has a special part to play in that. And um, so it really is more of a kind of an ethnic understanding, just similar to the nation of Israel, where we're, we're God's special plan and a part of that special plan. Um, and so we need to make sure we follow through on those and and make sure that we stay on God's good side in that sense. Okay. So talk now about some of the, the main findings. So you came up with this scale and uh, and it had some explanatory power with regard to the election and some other things. So, so talk about some of those. Yeah, definitely. So when we measure Christian nationalism, um, we, we utilize, you know, large surveys of the American public and we ask people six different questions. And so um, these questions, these are questions like, do you believe the United States is part of God's plan for the world? Or do you believe the federal government should advocate Christian values or allow the display of religious symbols in public spaces? And then people are able to either strongly disagree or, you know, strongly agree um, or disagree and agree. So there's a whole, you know, kind of a spectrum there where they could agree with or disagree with those um, questions. And then what we do is we assign each one a point value. And so if you strongly disagree with all of these questions about, you know, how much Christianity or religion should be um, privileged in the public sphere, you would score a zero. So if you strongly disagree on all, you're zero. And that puts you at one end of the Christian nationalism spectrum. But if you strongly agree with all of those, then you're at the very opposite end. Um, and so when we add all those up, we can see that across the whole spectrum, Americans are pretty evenly distributed. So it isn't as though it's just, are you a Christian nationalist? Yes or no. But there are varying degrees of 
um, how much people embrace or resist or reject Christian nationalism. And then what we found within that whole spectrum is there are essentially four different groups. So we have rejectors. Those are Americans who, uh, you know, as the word says, reject Christian nationalism, do not believe that Christianity should be privileged um, over and above you know, non-religion or other religious groups. And then we have resistors, and they um, are uneasy with a close relationship between Christianity and civic culture. Um, but they're not uh, as comprehensive in their uh, rejection of it. So they're resistant to it. And then we have accommodators. And so those are Americans who believe that Christianity plays a positive role in American civic life in the past and could in the future, but not necessarily to the extent where it should be the only religious expression in the public sphere. And so while they are supportive of Christianity playing a role, um, it's not comprehensive. And then we have at the other end, um, ambassadors. And so these are the Americans who strongly embrace Christian nationalism and uh, believe that the United States is and should be a Christian nation. It should be privileged in the public sphere. And so with those those four groups, we're able to look across a whole host of um, different uh, attitudes, beliefs, behaviors, like you said. And so for like a quick hit here, uh, when we uh, predict you know, the Trump vote in 2016, we find that Christian nationalism, even when we account for religious practice or um, whether somebody's an evangelical or a mainline Protestant, their religious tradition, um, or their sociodemographics, or even their political party, we find that Christian nationalism is one of the strongest predictors of voting for Trump. So ambassadors and accommodators are much more likely to vote for Trump. Um, if we look at racial attitudes, like whether people believe that um, the police treat black Americans the same as white Americans. We find that Christian nationalism is, again, a very important predictor of uh, racial attitudes and racial injustice in this country. If we look at attitudes towards religious minorities, again, Christian nationalism um, is an important and, and significant predictor in you know, being afraid or fearful of non-Christian religions or even the non-religious, like atheists. And so um, there's actually many more that we look at throughout the book, but we really find that Christian nationalism um, is, is a really strong predictor of how people view power in the world. So the groups that should have power and privilege and those that shouldn't, um, it creates very strong boundaries around religion and race and nativism. And then it really desires order. So how the family uh, is structured and, and who's allowed to have kind of power within the family. Um, Christian nationalism is a very strong predictor of that too. So it really is, as a cultural framework, something that's really important to understanding the polarization in our society and then how people vote um, to how who they marry or who they think should be allowed to marry um, to who belongs, um, both racially um, and religiously. So in, in some ways, Trump seems kind of like a a ridiculous sort of avatar for Christian nationalism because he's like this, you know, he's this rich reality TV show guy who lives in a New York penthouse and <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't <laughs> right. evoke that sort of image. So w when you look at him and sort of, uh, you know, he'll come out on stage and hug the flag and all that. So what, what do you see when you watch Trump and sort of his messaging or his appeals that you think, uh, why, why would he appeal to Christian nationalists? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think uh, in a lot of our work, we really believe that Trump 
um, is, is kind of the perfect test of the power of Christian nationalism. Because in the past, it isn't as though he's the first one that has utilized kind of this Christian nationalist framework of, I'm going to protect Christianity or the U.S. is a Christian nation, those types of things. Other Republican candidates in the past have used that. But with those candidates, um, you know, they would have this, uh, they would at least go to some extent trying to show that they are personally religious, that they take it seriously, that they are people of faith or Christians. But Trump really doesn't worry about that at all, right? So it's kind of famous, the different gaffes he's had about uh, the Christian, you know, doctrine or the Christian scriptures. And so, you know, in his personal life, it's, you can, you can tell it's just not important to him at all, but he is very willing to still utilize that rhetoric and say that, you know, it's important. I will protect you. I will protect the Christian heritage in this country. And so we can see that for many of these Americans, ambassadors especially, it isn't about the personal religiosity of the of the figurehead or the person in power, but whether or not they're going to privilege, um, again, their view and, and ideas of, of what it means to be a Christian nation. And to the extent that this person does that, they're all in. And so this really, I think, gives a good understanding of why Trump is the embodiment of all they've been searching for, because they want a strong man at the helm, um, making sure that they maintain access to the halls of power, the centers of political power. And as long as he does that, they are, are just fine. It doesn't matter whether there's you know a, a tape that comes out like before the 2016 election of, of him bragging about sexual assault, um, or if in different policies, you know, he and, and his administration is going against you know, what, what many believe the Christian scriptures say about welcoming the stranger or the immigrant, um, none of that matters. What they want is access to political power for their group. And, and really the us of Christian nationalism is, you know, white, native-born, um, culturally Christian Americans. And so in that sense, Trump is, is exactly what they've been searching for and exactly what they want. The one thing you hear often with regard to Trump supporters is it's white evangelicals. You know, those, that's his base and so forth. So wh- when you look at Christian nationalism with relation to white evangelicalism, what do you find? Yeah, that's a great point. And, and something that we really try to draw out <clears throat> in the book is that, you know, after the 2016 election, even through these last four years of the Trump uh, administration, you know, we do hear that a lot in the media, that it's white evangelicals. And they are, um, you know, overwhelmingly 80%, as we still find in many polls, supportive of Trump. But what we see and what we try to bring to the discussion is that it isn't necessarily white evangelicalism that is the mechanism that binds many of these Americans to Trump, but it really is Christian nationalism. So let me kind of unpack that a little bit. So among white evangelicals, Christian nationalism is um, pretty overwhelmingly embraced. So the, you know, the accommodators and ambassadors, many of them are evangelicals, but not all of them. Right. So there are many Americans who are not white evangelicals that are also accommodators and ambassadors. And what we find is that those Americans, they might be Catholic, they might be liberal or mainline Protestant. If they are ambassadors of Christian nationalism, they're just as likely to support Donald Trump as white evangelicals who are also ambassadors. And on the flip side of that, when we um, have white evangelicals who reject Christian nationalism, they are much less likely to vote for Donald Trump 
um, than white evangelicals who are ambassadors of Christian nationalism. So what we see is it isn't necessarily white evangelicalism, but it's whether or not these white evangelicals embrace Christian nationalism. Because those that don't, those that reject it, they aren't supportive of Trump uh, in the least. And so I think this gives us a little more precision when we're talking about the Americans that embrace Trump. Um, cutting across different religious categories is is this cultural framework of Christian nationalism. So whether they believe the U.S. is and should be a Christian nation, want to see this heritage, as they would call it, defended, that's what really binds them to Donald Trump, not necessarily um, their religious tradition in that sense. Does, does that work for black Protestants as well? That's a great question. And what we find is that it does not. So black Protestants, um, they're uh, actually quite likely to be uh, accommodators of Christian nationalism, and, and many are ambassadors. Um, but we find that unlike other white uh, religious traditions, black Protestants, even if they're ambassadors, are no more likely to vote for Donald Trump than are black Protestants that are rejectors. And so even though they embrace this idea of a Christian nation, they do not support uh, Donald Trump in, in many ways how they view you know, racial um, uh, injustice issues. Uh, Christian nationalism for white Americans is highly predictive, but, f- but for black Americans, it has r- no real effect because again, their experiences in this country and how they view this idea of a Christian nation has more to do with you know going after equality and that all should be able to live and um, you know do what they want to do in this country, similar to what we see with Martin Luther King Jr. or William Barber in the present day or Frederick Douglass. You know they believe the U.S. was a Christian nation, but in that sense they believed it called and they should call the U.S. to account on uh, how it treats um, Africans or African Americans. And so uh, we see that it does work differently um, within that religious group. Do Democrats also make appeals to Christian nationalists or say things that would be appealing to Christian nationalists? Uh, it could be, but to a much lesser extent. Generally, um, you know, Democrats or, or Democratic politicians are going to utilize, um, to some extent, more of a civil religion rather than Christian nationalism. Um, because Christian nationalism is so intertwined with, you know, privileging particular racial groups and religious groups, to the extent that Democrats um, are, you know, working towards or desire to see a more pluralistic society where um, one group or one particular group is, you know, not privileged above all, um, Christian nationalism really is about trying to maintain access to power for for white, native-born um, cultural Christians. And so when they, um, when Democrats are talking about God or, or using that God talk, it tends to be much more um, ecumenical and, and open, um, which just does not activate the same type of support among Christian nationalists or ambassadors overall. And so it, I think it is something different that they're, um, they're speaking to. Did you measure, like, uh, did you have any questions showing, like, their support for the the xenophobic or nativist policies uh so are these uh are christian nationalists more likely to you know reject uh muslims uh or immigrant muslim immigrants or find appeals with the uh you know blocking muslims from coming here and those sorts of appeals 
Yeah, we sure do. So in um, the second uh, or the third chapter of our book, uh, we we title it Boundaries. And this is one of the main things that we look at is the types of boundaries that Christian nationalism creates around American identity. And it really does revolve around um, whether you are from here. So this kind of nativist um, tendency where there's high degrees of anti-immigrant belief uh, among ambassadors and even accommodators where Um, If you aren't from here, they're much more suspicious or fearful of you, and they want to take steps to ensure that it is much more difficult for people to come here. Um, So you must be native-born. And then intertwined with that is religion, where if you are of a non-Christian or non-religion, they, uh, again, don't see you as uh, a part of, of what it means to be American and and who should be allowed to, you know, be here or have access to um, civic culture in the United States. So they're much more fearful or see threat uh, from Muslims or atheists and even Jewish Americans. Um, Christian nationalism and uh, ambassadors of Christian nationalism are more likely to believe that Jewish Americans are a threat to them, uh, both physically and then to their their morals and values uh, in this country. And so we see really um, strict and and tight boundaries around whether you are, you know, from here and, and, you know, fear of immigrants, but also religion. Um, you must be in some sense culturally Christian in their view to, to really be able to say that you are American and, and to access, you know, all this country has to offer. Now, I know you look at both big data and you sort of follow these debates within the culture as well. And so there has been, or there, there are Christian leaders, evangelical, white evangelical leaders as well, who flat out reject Christian nationalism on theological grounds, right? Right. So so does that show up in the data? Yeah, yeah, it sure does. Um, so what we find is that, um, you know, I mentioned earlier with, you know, across different religious groups, once we um, take into account you know, somebody's level of Christian nationalism, it really doesn't matter whether they're an evangelical Protestant or, um, you know, of no affiliation at all. It really is the Christian nationalism that is is doing the heavy lifting on explaining, you know, how they vote or what they believe. And then we also find that religious attendance um, and religious practice um, works differently than Christian nationalism. So over and over again, for um, some of the things that we look at in the book, we see that once we account for somebody's level of Christian nationalism, um, whether they go to church more or pray more or read their sacred scriptures more, um, they're more likely to be welcoming to the immigrants or um, less likely to be fearful of different religious groups. Um, they're less likely to, you know, want to make sure that you know people give proper respect to to America or you know bowing or you know they don't want them kneeling for the flag. All of those things. And so what we find is that it, again, really isn't just religion that's, that's doing this, but it's the degree to which they embrace Christian nationalism. So for these leaders that reject um, or Americans that reject Christian nationalism, many of them are religious. Um, they attend a lot. They read their Bible a lot. They may even affiliate with evangelical Protestant traditions. But again, it's, it's not being a part of those traditions or being religious, but um, whether or not they embrace Christian nationalism or, or reject it. And so again, that cultural framework really helps us understand the role of religion 
in explaining many of these attitudes or, again, how polarized we are on a number of these issues um, in the present day. Since Trump has brought more attention to this, I mean, I I assume you're going to keep uh, looking at these questions over time. Do do you think there'll be greater resistance? I, I know it seems like there's been more people speaking out against it during the Trump administration. So... Yeah. Yeah. What what do you what do you what do you expect to see as far as change over time? Yeah, that's a great question. So in our book, we were able to compare um, levels of Christian nationalism um, over time. So from 2007 to 2017, and then using a different data set, looking from 1996 to 2014, and we have a couple of interesting findings. One is that um, the degree to which Americans believe you know, Christianity should be privileged or it's really important um, to American identity does respond to different historical moments. So um, soon after 9-11, we see kind of a spike in in this idea of Christian nationalism. Because again, with that, we really, as a country, we're defining ourselves against what we saw as, you know, these terrorists and, and that to be American, you know, this idea of being Christian was kind of heightened. But then that actually tapered off by 2014. Um, but then we also find from tw- 2007 to 2017 that there is some shift um, in how many people are ambassadors. So there's it was actually a small decline. Um, accommodators kind of stayed the same. Uh, rejectors and resistors actually grew a little bit larger, you know, a couple percentage points. Um, but there were actually significant differences. So it wasn't just by chance, but, you know, these groups were shifting in size. And so it raises a couple of important questions, you know, thinking about, is this demographic change happening? So we see that ambassadors are are generally older. So as they, you know, die, you know, they're not necessarily being replaced by younger ambassadors. Um, and so we're going to keep tracking it, but it'll be important to see whether or not um, this is something where as people get older, do they start to embrace Christian nationalism more or you know, those that embrace Christian nationalism, are they, you know, going to, is that group going to continue to shrink as they get older and and die? So it's something important to track because I think, you know, with the last four years, um, Donald Trump has, and the administration, his supporters have really leaned into this. And so there's going to be some, and we even see data now where there are some young people that have been turned off by this and are rejecting this idea of the U.S. as a Christian nation. But um, will we be able to see that? Is it you know large enough where it'll show up um, across the whole population or not? Remains to be seen. But it's a really important question, and will be really interesting to try and, and figure out as as we go on. Yeah, and it seems like you're saying as well that this could help explain the difference between so-called never Trump evangelicals and Trump supporting evangelicals. Yeah, I think uh, Christian nationalism is is really the main explanatory um, mechanism of, you know, these evangelicals, some that completely reject Trump and others that are, you know, strongly embracing him. It really comes down to whether they think that, you know, the U.S. in their view is is a Christian nation and should be privileged, you know, this idea of, of a white Christian uh, culture. Um, I think that really does explain, you know, how and why some reject that and others don't. What do we still not know? Like, what are some questions that you still have that you want more data from that you still feel like you need to better understand or want to better understand about Christian nationalism? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. Um, 
One that I'm interested in is, you know, how this cultural framework um, can be activated for some people, or are there ways that we can, in, you know, one way to put it, deactivate it? So in what situations or topics or, or whatever, are people more likely to draw upon this cultural framework and in others they're not? Um, or is it so pervasive that no matter what, if people are thinking about um, or, you know, seeing themselves as a part of this group, um, that it's going to play a role in, in how they view a, a situation? And so I think gathering data will be important for this too, because we get asked a lot, you know, well, how do we, how do we turn this back? Or are there ways to kind of, you know, work against this Christian nationalism that makes us, you know, so xenophobic or, or, you know, encourages kind of racist views and all this stuff. And so knowing exactly how it operates, you know, within people or as they look at different situations, I think is important. And then the other thing that we're we're really starting to do now and, and we want to continue doing is, is thinking about how this cultural framework operates within different racial groups. Because as it was, you know, you pointed out and I mentioned earlier, for black Protestants, when we're talking about immigration um, or you know, other religious groups or voting for Trump, Christian nationalism does not incline them um, and, and work in that group the same as it does for white Americans. And so we really want to you know, try and figure out exactly why that is and, and thinking about how Christian nationalism really is racialized. So whether it's in, you know, a white group or for black Americans or, or other racial groups, trying to really figure out how it works and why I think is, is really important um, to understanding the power of this cultural framework and, and the ways that it really influences beliefs um, across these different groups in America. Okay. And so what are your future uh, research plans? So we, we should have some big data coming out with the election, right? Are you going to be examining that r- with relation to Christian nationalism? Yeah, definitely. So um, we should be able to uh, gather some data, um, you know, hopefully after the election or soon after the election. And, and hopefully, too, with our work, other, you know, polls will start to take this into account that we can't just see you know, what religious tradition somebody's a part of, but we have to think about, you know, whether they think Christianity or religion should be privileged in the public sphere, um, like Christian nationalism. So we hope to do that. And I think some other issues are, you know, the ongoing pandemic. Um, My colleague, Sam Perry, has been collecting some really great data on um, what people are doing or how they view the pandemic. And then two, um, the ongoing you know, racial unrest in the United States with, um, you know, the most recent example, Breonna Taylor and refusing to charge um, any of the policemen with with her murder or whether, um, you know, it's it's the other things throughout this past summer. Continue to see and, and realize, you know, how Christian nationalism is intertwined with, um, you know, white supremacy and racial superiority. I think those are really important things um, that we want to continue to do in the future, um, even beyond the uh, 2020 election. Yeah, I look forward to seeing what else uh, what else you can find. All right, Andrew Whitehead, thank you for joining the Protestants in Politics podcast. You're very welcome. Thanks a lot for having me. This episode was recorded on September 25th of 2020. Be sure to sign up for the Protestants and Politics newsletter. I'll include a link to it in the podcast description. Thanks for listening.